0: morning. You're welcome to this session. I hope you're in the right place. <laughs> okay. Yeah, I'll be sharing on uh, how short-term teams partner with local churches for long-term impact. Um, so before we pray, I just want us to pray together. Let's just thank God. Father, we thank you for this morning. Uh, We thank you for being with us during the night. Thank you for this new day you have given us. Lord Jesus, we just want to bless you for the opportunity to meet with you and meet with one another, to share from your word and to share from our experiences. We want to invite the Holy Spirit, even as you share that, Lord, you shall speak our hearts, fill us with the spirit of knowledge, wisdom and understanding in the name of Jesus Christ. So we thank you, Lord, and we praise you in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. So, you're welcome to this session. Uh, I hope that uh, you'll be able to be blessed. Uh, I'll open up a particular session, uh, maybe 20 minutes or 10 minutes for questions. Uh, this is a repeat session, so I hope that uh, uh, it will be a blessing to you. I just wanted to ask, uh, who is this conference for the first time? This is your first time. Okay, so you're welcome. Uh, the others, please, you're welcome also. Um, I'll just give you a a background uh, information about myself. My wife and I, uh, Pamela, uh, I think she went to attend another session. We have been serving uh, cross-culturally for many years. Actually, next year we'll be finishing 30 years in serving cross-cultural missions. The first 10 years of our lives from 1992 to 2002, we were missionaries to the Somalis, uh, uh, northeastern part of Kenya, Somalia, and Djibouti. Uh, during that season, we were pioneer missionaries. Uh, We went to places where there are no churches. We learned the language. Uh, My wife is a nurse and a midwife, so she worked in a a clinic uh, run by SIM International among the Somalis. We were there for in that area for seven years. And uh, for me, I was working with the elderly people uh, in a project that we partnered with a a Catholic sister that was born again, (laughs) So I was working with her to how to minister to elderly people in that community, uh, just to make sure that uh, their needs are taken care of. So that was our experience for uh, ten years among the Somalis, and then the last two and a half years of that period, I worked with refugees. Uh, many refugees had come from Somalia in Kenya because of the war, and we had thousands and thousands of Somali refugees in the city, all over the country. So we partnered with a friend of mine from Congo, who was also a refugee. Uh, he didn't know English, so he started a school, and I'm trained in teaching English as a second language. So I went in to teach refugees English as a second language for two and a half years. Uh, that brother actually now works in, in the USA in Southeast Christian Church, uh, Victor. So that's how we met in 1998. Uh, And after that, we took a break. We worked uh, in a children's home, a home for abandoned children, for two and a half years. And then the Lord called us back to go back to missions in 2005. And from that time, what we did, we didn't want to go back and learn a language again. Our strategy changed, which I'm going to share today. We were going to look for believers in those areas and train them to reach their own people. There's a great, great advantage of training people in their respective cultures to reach their own people. So basically, this strategy developed uh, from 2005. We were working with the ministry for five years, and I helped them to train teams in, uh, in Kenya, in South Sudan, in Sudan, in Khartoum, in Somaliland, in Djibouti. I'll go in and train the believers. In the Muslim countries, we'll train believers, secret believers. And then my team leader at that time, should come in and set up board members to run the ministry in that country. So I was able to assist her to establish uh, that ministry in three countries. That is South Sudan, uh, Sudan, Somaliland, and Djibouti, four countries. And then after five years, I told her, I think I've done my part. <laughs> yeah, she was a close friend who had really helped me as a young missionary uh, since 1993. And that time, the Lord called us to go become missionaries in northern Ghana, training churches among the Muslims to reach their own people. So we went and stayed in northern Ghana for three years and this time we went with a specific strategy which <coughs> I'm going to explain as we go on that we will only be there for three years. And it, we trusted God after three years, these churches we have trained will continue to live, to teach and reach their people without us being there. So that is the foundation we went through. Uh, Before, uh, also, I just want to share a story. (laughs) This is a story I learned a few months ago. I was training in a church in Kenya. And uh, uh, this is how the story goes. One day, the ostriches, several ostriches, decided to go to school to learn how to fly. So they went to a school. The teachers were the eagles. And the seminar and the training was very effective. But when they finished, they were excitedly talking, going back home, how the class was, how nice it is to learn to fly. But there was only one problem. What was the problem? They were not flying. But also, there's a second problem. Maybe the egos never taught them the right way. So, it's both sides. So, that's how missions, sometimes when you enter missions, the way you have been discipled and trained is what you'll end up doing. So, in a, we are, this uh, session is going to be very practical in that, When you're trying to work with churches uh, Short term teams You have to be very practical and very intentional Don't assume they will do things Just because you are there So one of the things from that story I believe the egos If they were going to teach the ostriches to fly Number one, they had to teach it How to fly Number two, they had to demonstrate it And number three, they had to watch The ostriches fly While they can correct them So that's the process of empowering churches You go And demonstrate your ministry. Let them observe you. Secondly, allow, partner with them. And watch as they do it. And then after that you pull back and you become partners. You just support them to continue. And this strategy is found from the Bible. In Matthew 28, verse 18 to 20, Jesus says, uh, Jesus, however, came near and said to them, the disciples, All power in heaven and over the earth has been given to me. Go therefore and make disciples of all the nations. Baptize them into the name of the Father, of the Son, of the Holy Spirit, and teach them to obey every command which I have given you, and remember, I am with you always, day by day, until the close of the age. And then the second verse is Second Timothy chapter 2, verse 2, where Paul says, All that you have been taught by me in the hearing of many witnesses, you must hand on to faithful men, who shall, who shall themselves in turn be competent to instruct others. So when Jesus told us to make disciples, in his life he never really told us the strategy. But by the disciples living with him, they saw the strategy. Okay. So normally in, uh, in our training we have a lesson in holistic ministry. We normally say, sometimes when you go to the community the first time, you're supposed to do two, three things. Look, listen and learn. Our observation by a good model, helps us to develop strategies that are effective. So the disciples, by watching Jesus do his ministry, realized that it is possible to train people and impact them. So what did Jesus do? Number one, when Jesus came and started his ministry, Jesus was a successful businessman. Jesus was a businessman who took over the family business when his father, Joseph, died at the age of 15. And the Bible says in Mark chapter 6, they now call Jesus the carpenter. The word is there, it's not carpenter or making wood. It's technon means builder. He was building houses and making furniture. So, for 15 years, as the firstborn, he had to take care of his mother, take care of his brothers. So that later, you find that when Jesus started his ministry, his strategy was very interesting. All his initial disciples, at least half of them, were borrowed from John the Baptist. <laughs> Peter, Andrew, he took these guys and trained them to be better. So normally when you go to, when you go work with churches, if you really want to empower them, it's not bad to get believers in a church and train them to be more effective. So Jesus did it. Okay? Another thing Jesus did, all his disciples, except maybe one, all of them were business people. They were fishermen, uh, one was believed in violent overthrow of the Roman government, <laughs> Judas Iscariot. So he took people. Not, only The only disciple he took who was a priest or a Levite was Matthew, who was doing the wrong job. He was not in the temple, he was a tax collector. <laughs> and I always believe Jesus was very intentional in choosing people who never came from what? The temple system. He took practical people. People who were willing to learn. We see the same thing, uh, Jesus, uh, wh- he takes this man and he, dis- he does something when you thinks from the Middle East point of view, or an African point of view, that is very difficult. He takes these 12 men, we know one of them is married. maybe several were married, Peter was already married, but he tells them, follow me. So you can imagine these grown men who had successful businesses, following Jesus all over the place. He, they slept where he slept. You know, there are many issues that come to my mind. How did he convince their wives? <laughs> yeah. He goes to visit Martha and Mary, his best friends, and suddenly these 12 men appear in the house and men eat nicely, especially in the Middle East and Africa. So when they complain of Martha asking for Mary for help, because there are 12 hungry men and they have to eat well. What Jesus was doing, he was modeling ministry of what? Uh, empowering people. So they followed him. So during that time, you, you, a short-term team is working with the people. You have to be a good model a very, so that people can watch you and see what you're doing. So God has believers in every people and our goal is to keep them to reach out to their own people. God has believers. I just came from a session early in the morning where a brother was sharing from Pakistan, I think Afghanistan. And actually, many people are worried about Afghanistan. I remember when the chaos broke out in the recent months and people are worried the church is going to die. Many people are praying in Kenya for Afghanistan. I kept on telling people, don't worry. The Americans who went there for many years and people from the West, the soldiers, some of them were born again. They led people to Christ. Don't worry, the church will survive. And actually, testify testified they are believers in Kabul. This is an Afghanistan discipling people in a persecution place. So if I was to go to Afghanistan at the moment, I will not go and set up my own ministry. I will go and look for the Afghani people and train them because they already know the language. There are many strategies you can use. Like if you go to a close country like we did in Djibouti or Somalia, if you cannot train people there, so some missionaries from Djibouti will take believers from Djibouti and Somaliland and take them to Ethiopia, an open country, and train them and train them and then send them back. So I always tell people, this strategy works whether country is closed or open. Kay? Because if you know that the Lord is working in every culture, and the Lord will never be defeated, Jesus said, the gates of hell will never prevail against the church. The Lord has believers in every country. So there are several steps you need to take when you want to partner with churches. So I'm explaining from uh, a viewpoint of someone who has worked with churches, and at what point do you bring in short-term teams to work with them? The first step when you go to a community, we envision them. We share with them the importance of obeying the Great Commission, the Great Commandment, and the Great Concern. The Great Commission, we know it. The Great Commandment is loving God and loving other people. And the Great Concern is Matthew 25, where Jesus says, I was hungry and you fed me, I was thirsty and you gave me water, I was a prisoner and you visited me. Now, in Matthew 25, the Lord never gave us the strategy. He just told us what to do. But, so, we have this, uh, you have to be careful when you develop a strategy. It's an empowering strategy. Okay? So, we envision them. We meet with pastors in that community. We envision them. And then we ask them if they are willing to be trained in holistic ministry approach. They have to choose how many people? Four other people to be trained with them. It is very dangerous to train a pastor alone because many pastors uh, are busy people. So when you train them, there is no guarantee when they go back, they train the church. So in our team, we insist we never train one person. We train at least three to five people who have to come for the training. So when the pastor is busy, they can go back and do this ministry. And another thing we realize, uh, many pastors, when they go for short-term training sessions, most of them are looking for a break from their busy schedule. So maybe the training is not the primary thing they really need. They just want a holiday (laughs) from their busy work, especially pastors in slums and rural areas. They never take a break from their ministry. So going out for training is an opportunity just to take a break. So there's no guarantee when you train them, they'll go and do it. So we learn this from experience. So warning, when you are to train a local church in a community, never train one person. Jesus trained 12 people. At least get a team so that they can support one another. And this envisioning is important because it's during that session, we're able to give them biblical background of understanding that God expects us to minister to our community holistically. We normally use scriptures like Luke 252, uh, where Jesus, the Bible says, Jesus grew in favor with God, with man in wisdom, and in stature, physically. So, Jesus is the model human being. He's fully God and fully man. So, the way Jesus grew is the way he expects everyone to grow. We have to grow in relationship with God, with people socially, uh, emotionally, in wisdom. So, in wisdom, many people struggle with that, but Jesus went to school. We know he went to school because he could read Hebrew, He could read, he could speak Arabic. Jesus spoke four languages. He spoke Hebrew because he could read the scriptures. He spoke Aramaic, the local language. He spoke uh, Greek because Galilee was full of Gentiles. Okay. So at least he knows three languages. And we know he could read and write because one time he wrote on the ground. We don't know what he wrote. (laughs) Because those days, uh, people were homeschooled. Yeah. If you're not a priestly family, your parents taught you. So Jesus grew in wisdom. Jesus grew socially. Because when he got lost, when he was 12 years old, in Jewish culture, you became a man at the age of 13. When you are taken to the temple, they give you the, the camp. From that time, you take care of yourself. So they took him. He got lost. And when they wanted to find him, they went to look for him among his friends and relatives. So Jesus has friends and relatives. He was not this holy man walking around in the bush all alone. He had friends. He had a network that he could get lost. And normally people don't realize those things until you enter in a community where relationships are broken down. Okay, Jesus grew. uh, Also, when you find that Jesus, as a human being, he always had a need for his friends, the disciples, as a human being. He missed them. So we we try to train churches that In those areas, the church is responsible, not the government. The church must fully represent the Lord, spiritually, socially, mentally. That's academic. The church should be involved in schools. The church should be involved in meeting physical needs. So that's the purpose of envisioning. Um, If you want to know how to do details about envisioning, please give us your contact. We will send you materials or get you organizations that uh, have those materials that are already prepared. So once they understand and visioning, then you know they are ready when they bring their people to be trained. So we don't go recruiting people to be trained. The pastors have to take the initiative to select people. And the reason we follow this strategy right from the beginning, do not do things for them that they can do for themselves. Don't go and pay people to come for a seminar or a training. If they really want to do it, let them do it themselves. Let them be motivated from inside. Don't beg them. Jesus never begged people to follow him. Just tell them that you are available to help them. You are going to spend time with them. You are committed. But do not try to... Because when you start introducing other expectations, people will follow you for the wrong reasons. Yeah, And this one I'm talking from experience. When you were working in South Sudan, another my, my previous organization, I trained uh, church teams Sudanese. And uh, we had to set up a board. So the team leader at that time allowed me to sit in a board meeting. Uh, So I was not supposed to speak because I'm not a board member, but I was just supposed to sit and watch. But what I heard really shocked me. These board members were asking this team leader uh, how sitting in the board they should be paid, how much they're going to be paid, what are you going to pay us. So she didn't talk much. After the board meeting, she whispered me and told me, hmm, Bukachi, I think we have a problem. That's Dr. Florence the founder of Life in Abundance. She's done, I worked with for five years. And she, she will not sack you, but she'll pray you out. <laughs> so she had, to, she had to set up a new board that will volunteer. Now where did these people get this idea that when you come for a meeting you need to be paid? They got it from the United Nations. Every country you go in Africa, I don't know Asia, when the United Nations has meetings, they'll pay for your transport, pay your food, pay for your accommodation, and give you pocket money to go back. So when people come for training, their motives are mixed. They are not genuine. So I have friends in the United Nations. That's one of the things we disagree with them. When you hear this dependency problem all over the world, it is created by United Nations. United Nations is a huge, huge organization with a lot of money. So they create dependency. And we have seen... So we here to tell those guys sorry, you cannot work with us. So a new body had to be appointed in that country and that ministry still runs up to today. You have to be bold to correct the problem. Don't, don't let people from the community, be, especially if they are successful businessmen or uh, uh, influential people, to be paid again to help their own people. Please, don't do it. That's a wrong strategy. So that's uh, part of the challenges of envisioning. Uh, the next stage is training. These pastors choose people to be trained for 5 to 10 days in holistic ministry. These lessons can last from uh, 5 to 10 days depending on their availability. And the same thing, don't do things for them. They have to choose their venue, so we don't select venues for them. So they can use anything. They can use schools, like in, up in northern Ghana they use schools. In north, um, another part of Ghana they use churches. In South Sudan we use trees, they have these big trees where you can sit the whole day and train people. Do not start providing things that will create dependency. And when you train them, we do these lessons to make sure that they understand the concept. And there are three homeworks. Number one, they have to go and do spiritual mapping of their community, understand the spiritual issues. Secondly, they have to do a household survey, interview one family to know their needs. Because most people, you can stay in their community and you don't know their needs. So we tell the pastors it's good to go to a house, visit, and ask them what are their needs. And then the third one, they have to do a seed project. A seed project is a project they will do using their own resources to bless that community in one or two days. If they don't do those three things, we will not train them. That's the only exam they have to do those things. So we don't have an exam where they have to mark. If you pass those three you are ready for the next training. And at that point, number three, we start training them other courses like uh, income generating activities or starting schools. And that's when we partner with medical teams to come in and train them in starting community clinics or community dental clinics or medical clinics, whichever they want. But those needs have to emerge from them. I remember in Ghana when we were there, we were working 10 churches in 10 villages and we told them we would like you to Uh, start community clinics. Every church wanted to start a community clinic. But they had to provide the volunteer. And we will not pay them. So when they gave us the list, we had to go back and verify. And only, I think, in that area, three churches qualified. Who had the people, who are willing to be trained, and the facility. Because this community clinic will run in the church building. So, because churches are not used during the week, they will have a clinic made on Monday, Friday, uh, Wednesday, and Friday to help their people using uh, people who have been trained by medical teams. And the people who have to be trained for that work still have to be chosen by the pastor. Don't choose for them. Ask the pastor, give them the criteria. They have to know English, if it's an English speaking country, or they have to know French, like Burkina Faso, so that the communication will be easier. And then they have to be available for the training, and the pastor must be willing and committed to do the follow-up. That this community clinic will run, or if it's a ministry like starting discipleship, it will will run, or if it's starting a school, it will run. Their responsibility is to follow up, because these are their own people. So we avoid a situation where the people in the church are dealing directly with us. They need to deal with the pastor, because that's the leader, uh, to honor him. So we have used this strategy to start... uh, lay medical and dental clinics, early childhood schools, income-generating activities, discipleship schools, and now we're developing how to train churches in inner healing and emotional healing and freedom ministry. Is the same strategy. Go and pick people. Let them be trained. And we have partnered with several organizations to do like this, who are in this conference. Uh, Empower Foundation, if you go downstairs, they do that ministry. They take out medical teams uh, to train people all over the world. ITEC, Uh, And then uh, we also partner with Literacy and Evangelism International for the school program. We have another ministry called Thoroughly Equipped that teaches discipleship. So we take their materials, they come and train the churches, they leave the materials, and the churches can continue the training after they leave. So these are medical teams, discipleship teams, and evangelism teams. So this strategy works for any team. So if you want to know especially how to go with a medical team, I want to encourage you to go to Empower. They have an exhibition somewhere, and uh, ITEC, because we work with them in all these countries. Another ministry, is Teach to Transform, that focuses on going with medical doctors, because they will give you the challenges they have gone through to develop their modules to make it easy for people to be trained in the communities. So we don't develop those modules. In Hope Alive, we like using other people's material. <laughs> I mean, I mean, maybe one or two have developed. Others we borrowed. And then we modify it. So the reason is, one of the things I've seen uh, over the many years in missions, sometimes you're trying to replicate what someone already done successfully. So if you can borrow, borrow the strategy. Because it makes the work go faster. Okay. Then the fourth point, the past and the four people selected to train, like I said, have to be trained using the criteria we have established. Like I said, they have to know English. They have to be available. We normally only provide two things. We provide lunch and training materials. Everything else they have to provide. They have to provide a venue. They have to get their transport to their venue. Because before you came, most of these churches will have conferences. So they know how to travel to places. Don't get to the habit of paying them to come for your meetings. You create dependencies that you not manage. And then the pastor also has to mobilize the community. That means if it's a medical team coming in, the pastor is responsible to mobilize the community by talking to the village elders, to the chiefs, the government officials, that we are going to have this clinic, we are going to train people. We as Hope Alive don't do it. The church has to do it. So they take responsibility for their community. We can tell them from experience in five countries how to go about it, but we will not go walk to the offices of that country or people we don't know to get documents for a medical team to come in. We will tell them details. Because for a training team to come in as a medical team, you, you need permission or licensing different countries. Uh, they also, uh, during, after the training by the medical teams, I'm using that example because this is a medical mission uh, conference, we have to teach the people who have been trained how to get medicine from the country. Avoid a situation of carrying medicine to countries or equipment. Sometimes they don't even know how to use it. So we try to tell them, what do you have in the country? There's a lesson we teach in our training called, What Do You Have? from the whole Bible. Moses was asked, What do you have? Elisha asked the widow, What do you have? Elijah asked the other widow from Zarephath, What do you have? Jesus asked the disciples in John chapter 6, What do you have? So let them use what they have first before you bring in other things. And uh, uh, be careful because some, some of them, some of them because of the need, there's this feeling, if equipment comes from America, is better. The problem is not the equipment, the problem is the training to use the equipment. So let them use what they have. So some of the medical teams will tell us we want to buy medicine in your country. So we will connect them to the supply chain either from the government or in Kenya, we have the Christian Health Association where all the Christian hospitals operate from. All of them are able to order medicine. If you have a friend who's a doctor or a nurse, they can order medicine. So that they use that one. And that one will help them when your team leaves. The clinic will be sustained using the local supply chain. And during the training also, they have to agree, normally we'll agree as the pastors, how much money do you think people can pay for this service? So, in Ghana, they gave us graduated costs. If it's just a checkup, this is what they'll pay. If they're going to be treated in the clinic, this is what they'll pay. In the pharmacy, this is what will be paid. So, the pricing never came from the trainers. The pricing has to come from the community because that's how the clinics will be sustained. Now, uh, uh, you'll hear some examples where in this community, the young man was trained, he still runs this clinic in Ghana, he still buys the medicine, he still does that work. Uh, 10 years later, these clinics are still running. Because they know how to get the medicine, they know how to run the system, they know how much to charge. Also, now make sure, that's number 8, prepare to pull out. That makes sure, when you go there, don't go plan to stay. I will even ask, if you are a long-term missionary, like I was, plan to exit. (laughs) Because if you don't plan, God will plan for you. (laughs) So, like, in Ghana, when we were planning to go back... Actually, we are going to go back to Ghana or go to Burkina Faso. Ebola happened. So, at that time, flights were canceled. We couldn't travel. And the Kenyan government told us, you're not going anywhere. So, we had to stay home. But these teams had already been trained. Another one, like these COVID issues, no one knows what is going to happen. But we have to learn and we go out. We have to train people so that they continue the ministry. Because there's no guarantee you'll go back. And, like, uh, I talked to some friends yesterday who are planning to go to a high-security country, they have been applying for the visa. It has been denied three times. So what happens? You will not go. So if you get the opportunity to go, make sure you use it well, because you may never come back. Some countries don't like seeing you visiting again and again, because they think you have a different agenda, even if your heart is pure. And then uh, number nine, establish a network, so, in most areas, like in Ghana or in Kenya, or um, uh, or Burkina Faso, we will try to recruit doctors or nurses who are available, who can be trained, so that when we leave, they can help the team, the lay dentists. So, try to partner. In every culture, I can tell you now, we have Christian nurses and doctors who love the Lord, who want to learn to do ministry. So, if you can give them, let them start learning from you these skills so that they can continue after you leave. Okay, so I don't know if you have any question. Now you understand the process: envisioning, training, empowering, release, and leave. <laughs> okay.
1: Very, very, good material. I just could not keep up. Oh, okay. I could not and so.
0: I'm just, is there a place for this? Your yes, I uploaded everything on the website. Medical missions. And All my lessons is there. Everything is there. And then, if you want to. Get more details, please give us your contact, your email. Uh, we will get back in touch with you. I felt I didn't announce the last session when I was here two years ago. There's an organization from Texas, they want to train people in Ghana, and they were hearing this concept for the first time. So, we had arranged to go and train in their church, then, COVID came. So, if you want your church to be trained, uh, my colleague in USA can arrange. We will get people because people have to understand this concept. Because that's the only way you can empower people and multiply workers in the kingdom. Okay.
1: You mentioned about um, let them be able to um, uh, procure their own supplies and equipment, let's say, for the medical clinics. So are you talking about all supplies, I mean, like even equipment, um, that type of stuff? What, I mean... What if they're not really able to do that? I mean, whether it's like extreme great need in mm. this particular country.
0: If the, what? if the country doesn't have, you can bring. Okay. But in most countries, everything is available. Even if it's oxygen, things to check, check for blood pressure, checking for oxygen. Pamela, can Please come. You can explain those things. My wife is a nurse, and she can explain because... So in Accra, we did this training in northern Ghana. So when we went back to Accra, we we did the research ourselves, identify a shop that can have dental supplies. We talked to them that these guys from northern Ghana will be calling you to get the equipment. We did the research ourselves. So the northern guy in Ghana doesn't know where the equipment comes from, but our team leader in Accra knows the shop. And sometimes you have to go to three or four shops before you get what you need. So we do our own research to help them, so that they don't have to travel. Like Ghana, you have to tra- travel 12 hours from north to south. In Nairobi, maybe in the northern Kenya, a thousand kilometers. So there's no, you put everything on the bus they go. So that you, our work is to support them, so that they can run everything when we leave. But if you cannot get in the country, please carry. But if you can buy in country, it makes it easier even for the team carrying things. Okay. Any other more questions? I'd like to add some.
1: Okay. Maybe on the medical aspect, the expendables like the gloves, gloves, some of the, but the initial equipment like when we talk of the ladies, the team that come provide us with uh, mobile dental chairs, so those may come from the team that's coming. But now the continuous process, supplies, gloves, it will not be I mean, why carry gloves from U.S. surgical gloves when they are easily available in the countries? So now the initial things may come from U.S., but with things like drugs and and surgical supplies, then we prefer you procure them from the because you may find it's even cheaper. It saves
0: the team some money. Okay, here's a question. Okay, go ahead. but it seems like it's a very long process. Like about from the start to the beginning where you're doing that envisioning to then the training to then bringing a team, how long does that usually take? Within one year, the churches should be ready. So the reason there's a process we develop this, um, we have seen situations where short-term teams have come in and have got causing problems. Because it's not about what you're doing for them. It's teaching them, To understand how to serve better their people. So we have a saying that don't go and do things for them. Train them to do those things for themselves. So don't go to Haiti to paint churches. There are many painters there. Maybe you can train them to paint better. So avoid doing things that they already have been doing because there's this need, maybe this one from UK or from USA is better when actually it's not the truth. But the skill level may be different. Yeah, because make sure you empower them. And another principle we teach, it has to be based on human dignity. Please make sure that when you are dealing with people, they are created in God's image and likeness. They are very important and there's something they know. My mom may not have gone to school, because she went to school in colonial days, but she could read and write and raised up seven children. So there's something she knows. So build on their knowledge. Yeah. Don't just say, oh, we'll teach you better. This, sometimes you have to change it. Biblically it's allowed. Like I gave this example, when God saw Adam and Eve were going to cut all his trees to make leaves to cover themselves, what did He do? To re- restore them through atonement, He sacrificed an animal for to restore them. But the skin also was important for their clothes, <laughs> so it was a long-term solution. Yeah, in the Bible you can see places where a long-term solution is established. So we have another lesson we teach that avoid doing relief. Start focusing on development. And the, in, our, in our understanding, uh, you check around even many organizations here, many people don't want to invest in development because development takes time and takes training. There's a training component in any empowerment. And that's why I like ITEC, Empower, these organization, because these are medical doctors and dentists that have worked on a system and developed tools like ITEC develops all those tools that they use to train judges. It took time but now the ministry is multiplying all over the world. So it takes, like us, it took time to develop modules, but once you develop it, it's usable in any country. Yeah. Any other question? Mm-hmm. Okay.
1: Well, it, it looks like it takes long, but remember you have a partner on ground. Mm-hmm. So the key thing also is make sure you have a partner. Like by the time maybe we'll be partnering with ITech, Hope Leg is already on the ground, has identified the churches that they are working. So you are coming along a partnership. You are not uh, even if you decide maybe to go to Haiti or wherever you are, there should be a partner on the ground that has like cleared the way the obstacles, so it makes your entrance and your work easier. Otherwise, if you decide not to do it all alone, you are starting by clearing the ground, bringing in a team, having systems, it will take longer than you expected.
0: Yeah. Okay. Uh, just to give, okay, go ahead.
1: Do they have a
0: Yes, they have a book here. M, power.
1: It's the letter M.
0: Yeah, yeah. And then ITEC and Teach Transform. Like, I just talked to the director of uh, Teach Transform. He's an American, but now they have raised up a Kenyan team. And actually, he told me from now on, once we deal with the Kenyan team. Yeah, so that one works good for me because they have the equipment on the ground. Like, with, we are trying to partner with ITEC at the moment, our ministry, because they have been training churches in Tanzania, South Sudan, Kenya. So they want to have a place they can keep the equipment. So they asked us, can we get them room in our office? So the only thing they need to keep is equipment because carrying a lot of stuff is expensive. So we are working on the process. Yeah. They want to have uh, uh, distribution centers all over the world so that with a local partner when they come in, they can be able to train churches quickly. And also some of the things that, to answer your question, uh, if they don't have that equipment, the people you have trained can come to our supply center, and get it at an affordable cost. Because then they bring in large stock. We keep them, then the other uh, volunteers can come and pick them. Okay. Did
1: you we only go when we're
0: invited? Yes. We go where invited. Yeah. But sometimes you can take a step of faith. But normally there's a, a contact on the ground. Yeah, Or sometimes if they feel like uh, the Lord is calling me to a country, the first thing I'll do, which I do not include, number one, you have to do a site visit. So don't go the first time to train. Go and just visit and talk to people. So we'll go and visit and talk to people for one week. we talk to the pastors, talk to the missionaries, just to understand before we make a decision whether we'll work in that country or not. And many people jump the site visit, but site visit is important to understand the cultural dynamics, and to fight the, what the Bible says in Matthew chapter 10, the man of peace. In every, I always say, I have this saying with my wife, when you worked among the Somalis, Somalis are tough Muslims. And it's very easy to think there is nothing good that can come from the Somalis. I can tell you the truth. Everywhere we went, we found men and women of peace. They are not Christian. They are just good Muslims. And actually they protected us the ones who tell you you need to run for your lives because problems are coming. They go to the mosque and listen to everything and come and tell you. So those people in every culture, just pray, pray, pray until the Lord gives you a contact. So the site visit is important. Okay. Okay. Any query? Okay. Yes. You know, just being able to embrace that, embrace the local culture, embrace the church, and it's it, embrace it. Because that's usually a problem on the ground when Americans come to place. Yeah, so if you believe, if you go Genesis chapter 1, you believe everyone is created in God's image and likeness, your problem is sorted out. So when you go eat, practice it. Like we say when you do the site visits, just look, listen, and learn. Don't talk. Let them talk. Let them express their fears. Some of them may not be telling you the truth. But just listen. Over time, you found out this one maybe doesn't make sense. Now, I want to give an example. Like when you were, Before we went to Ghana to work there, we did a site visit for one week. And we stayed with this missionary who we were supposed to work together. He's a Ghanaian-American. We talked, 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 discussed many things. The last day we asked him the last question, so should we work together or not? He said, no, we are not going to work together. And we respected him. <laughs> so we went back home, and the Lord is still telling us, you need to go back to Ghana. So we had to change the strategy, because God did not change his mind. <laughs> we went to the Baptist church in the northern Ghana, and we told them, we want to work with you to train churches. They said, we will work with you. They, were now re- they met all the leaders. We met in the office. They said, you have permission. We will help you. I go to Accra because I need a residential permit and a work permit. I go to apply for it. They need to give me their constitution and registration certificate. Reaching Accra, they did not have those documents. They were registered, but they were lost in the office. So the guy in Accra tells me, okay, if they have lost those documents, do you want to still work here? Yes. Okay, you can start your own organization. Get three or five Ghanaians on the board who will register the organization. Hope Alive was registered in Ghana in one week. So I just got Ghanaians to sit on the board. And just done. And actually, we realized, looking back, it made our work easier because we trained people from many denominations. We trained Baptists. We have trained Assemblies of God. In, uh, in Burkina Faso, we have trained Evangelical Alliance. So it set us free. But you see, in that confusion, God was in it. I had to get a name for a ministry in one day. Because the guy says, I'm waiting. <laughs> so that's how hope our life began. And you see, we had this word from the Lord, very clear, from people who are praying in Kenya when you are going to Ghana. The Lord told us, your ministry will not start in Kenya. I was in South Sudan, Rumbek, praying. Your ministry will start in Ghana, so you better agree to go to Ghana to Ghana. I didn't want to go to Ghana because I'd been a missionary for 10 years. I was like, I have this joke I tell God. God, other people have children. They should send other people's children. <laughs> the Lord told me, no, you are the one, God. You know, when you are praying, we give money for other people to go and the Lord saying, no, 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 it's your turn. So the Lord told me, no, 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 you are going to Ghana. And the Lord was very clear. It will not start in Kenya. I tried to register minister in Kenya twice. The government refused. But now when we came back, we work now in Kenya. So in those, I call it God's providence of obedience, you have to be in the right location. I always joke with young people. Young people are here, university students. There are many dynamics in the kingdom. Some of the greatest work God is planning to do in your life will never be done in America. You may have to go to Japan, to Chile. There, that's when the Lord will establish you and then bring you back to be a blessing to USA. So let say when you pray for missions, it's very dangerous. How many people pray, Lord, send laborers in the harvest field? Or we pray Acts 2, uh, Psalms chapter 2 verse 8, ask of me and I'll give you the nations and inheritance. And the hands of the earth of possession. The Lord is just listening. One day he tells me, I want you to go to Mongolia. Will you go? Because you have to be willing to be the answer to your prayer. Please, Jesus told the disciples in Matthew chapter 9, pray that the Lord will send forth laborers into the harvest field. In Matthew chapter 10, he tells them, I'm sending you. He tells them, go to these villages, you meet me somewhere. And these guys knew basically very little. But they obeyed the Lord and went. And he told them, we'll meet you. And Jesus did evaluation. So how was it? They told him, we cast out demons. He said, no, don't rejoice because of demons. He rejoiced, your name is written. And then after that, I told him, let's go and rest. You took them to Bethsaida in your bush to rest and eat. You know what I'm trying to say? As you come to this conference, as you are praying, God to send our laborers. Be the first one to say, the Lord, here, my Lord, send me. Because I really believe after COVID, personally, a harvest is going to start all over the earth. After COVID, many people are getting born again, especially through personal evangelism. People are desperate. God has used COVID to make people's hearts open. Because everyone knows, whether you're Christian or not, everyone knows things are bad. They, in a situation you cannot control. So the Lord is going to open hearts, but He'll need many, many laborers. And I pray that some of you will answer the call. This is the, I, I'm not young now, <laughs> but I told God, now that COVID is over, we are going to do this job. We will train we will travel because we don't know which country will lock you down. Just go. The plans you cancel, it doesn't mean God doesn't need them. Just make sure now you accelerate. Sacrifice. Because all over the world, there are people saying, We need help. We need help. Yeah. So I want to challenge you as you come the last day of this conference, answer that call. Tell the Lord, Here, my Lord, send me. I know when the Lord asks you to go, He always speaks in third person. Yeah, because Isaiah had a conversation in heaven. Whom shall I send? The Lord never, said, the Lord never asked, I'm sending you. <laughs> but he decided because he had the conversation, God, I am available. The only person the Lord told go was Moses, and Moses did not like him. He started giving God a lot of excuses. I can't speak And did the Lord God anointed. <laughs> the first day God called Moses, God got upset with him. That's not a good idea. Bible says the anger of the Lord came because the Lord told Moses, I can't speak. The Lord asked him, but I created the mouth. So I always say sometimes it's good to answer the third person call because it's whoever shall hear. But if God tells it you, you will not escape. Like Apostle Paul. Now Paul got saved. If you read that chapter and imagine what was happening, the Lord did almost many things. He made him blind, number one. Told him, Go to a very simple believer who will pray for you. This believer tells me about the Great Commission. So that's how Paul responded. We have a
1: question from online. Oh. So what is the best way to find local partners that are open to be
0: trained? Okay, let me read the question. What is the best way to find local partners that are open to be trained? That's what I always say. Make sure you do a site visit. Every country, we work in Malawi, you we went to do a site visit first. I went to Zambia, the three of us, Sarah and I, we went to do a side visit. We want to know, are these the right people? And the right people may not be great people. <sighs> like, Burkina Faso is very strange. The guy I met, I met this guy through an American missionary. So I travel. He tell me, you will meet Jehoshakim. You stay in this guest house. This young man comes in. And we start talking, talking, talking. He works with Compassion International. I just find out later, Jehoshakim is a pastor's kid. But if he calls a meeting in Evangelical Alliance, every pastor will come because they respect his father. We go to Zambia the same. A lady called Mary, we met in school in the Netherlands in 2009 before I went to missions at that time. She prays for us for all these years. We go there, she mobilizes pastors. She's not a pastor, but she knows how to mobilize pastors. And in Africa, that is a miracle. For a lady mobilise men to come from meeting, and actually it worked. So now when we go back, we are going to empower Mary. We're not going to remove her. We empower her to become a greater leader. We're empowering Jehoshakim in Burkina Faso. So site visit. Don't look for pastors. Just tell God it may be a businessman. It may be a successful lay leader who has contacts and. Pray that the Lord will lead you to men and women of peace. Be very specific in your prayer, because God answers that prayer. That's how we found men and women of peace in Djibouti. So I tell Dr. Florence, I had a contact in Djibouti, whom she did not know. So I told her, let's go look for John. John is an American. We go and talk with him. We tell John, he works with Campus Crusade. We want to meet all the missionaries. John knows all the missionaries. We meet for one week. We go to different houses. We tell him we want to meet some local believers. He has contacts of local believers, secret believers. He even knows the prime minister. (laughs) He has contacts in Somaliland. I mean, he travels there. He knows where the believers are. John became our answer to open the work where? In Djibouti and Somaliland. He was just an American doing a nice job. Yeah. So you just never know. So when you do go site visit, look for missionaries and look for pastors. And especially when pastors are talking to you, sometimes you have to be cautious. Some of them may tell you long stories. Just look for a man. If you find it's a long story, excuse yourself. It happened in Ghana. I went to this place by a chairman of the board in Ghana. We meet these pastors. They tell me a lot of things. They need clothes. They need churches to be built. I realized I was in the wrong meeting. So after the meeting, I respected them. I told my colleague, I don't think those are the right people. I decided to travel myself all alone to Upper East, next to the border of Burkina Faso, to meet another group of pastors with the one Ghanaian guy team member. And we meet these seven pastors, I think, and they were the right group. When we asked for training, three of them brought trainees. Others disappeared. I don't know where they are today. But that, those pastors in that small district... Been actually that pastor, the team leader, has the most successful ministry in Ghana now after training among our team members. So to answer this question, do a site visit. Okay. Thank you. I hope uh, if you have questions, please give us your email. We will be able to help you. So God bless you.